Hey, and welcome to Let's Talk CPF, a podcast where we bring conversations on CPF to your ears. Brought to you by the CPF Board, this podcast will answer common questions, offer tips, and feature interviews with industry experts on CPF and financial planning. Thanks for listening and let's get straight into today's episode. For most of us, the past two years were characterised by staycations due to travel restrictions. However, with the easing of travel, life seems to be going back to how it was before as we plan for our next vacation. But there's something to be aware of, revenge travel or revenge spending. It describes how travellers are willing to splurge on expensive vacations after COVID-19 disrupted earlier holiday plans. So, how can we avoid spending an exorbitant amount on holidays? I'm Hari from the CPF Board and I have Joshua, an entrepreneur, filmmaker, investor and an avid traveller here with us today. Hi Joshua! Hello, hi Hari. Joshua, you've done something most of us could only dream of in the past two years. While we were all limited to taking staycations and at the same time waiting for the news on the easing of border restrictions, you were actually travelling the world for the better part of 2020 to 2022. In fact, you travelled to 55 countries across 5 continents during that period. And the cherry on top of the cake is that you stayed COVID-19 free. So Joshua, tell me more about yourself. What do you do? I think I like to describe myself as an accidental entrepreneur because most of the companies that I started were done as a result of solving a problem that I faced. And then along the way, you know, the clients or the associates of mine who saw what I was doing said that you know, they also wanted to do the same thing or they also needed the same kind of help. So those were my first journey as an entrepreneur. And then um, thereafter, I actually joined the venture capital fund along the way. So now I'm working as a principal for Decacon Capital. So apart from work, what else do you enjoy doing? I think I'm someone with very low threshold for boredom. So since young, I have been doing a lot of things from looking at math to chess and playing badminton, dabbling in the media and photography, video. So I was a volunteer in my church from a very young age. And that's what actually got me involved or interested in the media scene. And then from there on, I actually dropped out of school in junior college year one. So that was year five of the integrated program with nothing more than a PSLE certificate. So then I started to study filmmaking in Nian Poly. That also was at the same time when I was working as a freelancer. Safe to say that I don't like to do the same thing over and over again. And I think the exploration angle is always something that I've been very open to. So whether it's in uh, learning or traveling or work and business, these are all things that I believe in doing more and learning more and expecting less. If there was a trailer created to introduce you, I would imagine this. 55 countries across 5 continents in a span of 30 months and you're still travelling. <laughs> so when did you start the journey and how did it start? For me, this wasn't a grand plan from day one that I wanted to travel to so many countries or to so many continents. This was more of a making the plane as I fly kind of situation. Because the start of COVID, obviously, nobody knew how long this pandemic would last, whether it was even going to be like a few months or a few years. And I was actually stuck outside of Singapore for a good few months in Myanmar because I had some business there. The first or second trip that I took out of the country was more of to Europe and then to Israel and to Myanmar and Thailand. Most of the countries I visited was actually towards November, December 2020 to mid-2022. So that was when I intentionally left Singapore after I finally managed to come back due to the fact that the COVID numbers in Singapore were very low. 
So from a low base, you know, you can only usually go up. <laughs> it doesn't go negative. And I believe that the restrictions would be significantly tightened from already very tight uh, restrictions like having to scan QR codes and wear masks everywhere. So I just looked up which countries had no quarantine requirements from Singapore and uh, found that South Africa was on the list. And I haven't been there before. So I thought I'd take a short trip to South Africa and explore a few of the neighbouring countries for a couple of months. But months turned into years and obviously there were many variants of COVID and I couldn't get a visa to go back to Myanmar either. So Singapore being closed and Myanmar being out of bounds for me, I just kept moving along and making the plan along the way. Initially, the idea was to stay in one country for extended period of time, you know, even up to the point where my visa was going to expire before moving to the next one because there were a lot of restrictions like having to do PCR tests or having to show that you have certain insurance policies or doing some quarantine for some countries. So those were not really my cup of tea and I wanted to reduce the inefficiencies and the trouble as much as possible. But that plan sort of changed after I got vaccinated. I eventually got the vaccine in Serbia and that opened up many other possibilities to travel without any of these restrictions, especially in the Eurozone and then eventually just with rapid tests you could enter places like Canada, US and most of Latin America. I don't see the world so much as like countries anymore. I like to say the world is my classroom. And a lot of these lines that people draw are more like arbitrary. They are useful, but then they are not conclusive. And there are more similarities and differences in the places and the people that we meet along the way. It's more like these places that I would never have visited, I think, in a normal situation. That I consider myself very privileged to have the opportunity to explore and to get to know these cultures and people. Whoa, that's amazing. So usually when people talk about travelling, most will think about the cost. You actually travelled to 55 countries. So how much did you spend on your trip? The primary aim was to spend as little as possible. And then on hindsight, if I look back, the amount was about 1,500 Singapore dollars every month. Of course, some places the amount was larger, some places the amount was smaller. And depending on the cost of living and the amenities that I had to pay for, this wasn't a budget again. And I think the idea is that if I can live like a local, then obviously I wouldn't spend like an extremely high amount of money because locals, no matter where they live, they can't be living in a five-star hotel or first-class plane ticket or train tickets. So if you take the local public transport, however the locals move around, if you eat whatever the locals eat, or if you cook yourself in places which are more costly, and I did some couch surfing in the US and Western Europe to sort of bring the cost down as well. There are lots of travel hacks that I've also written about so those are all ways that contributed to the budget and being able to spend lesser than I would otherwise have. You mentioned travel hacks and I'm curious to know more about that. So you were on the road for more than 30 months. It doesn't seem like an easy feat for someone like me. And I'm really, really curious to know if you have any budget tips that you could share with me or even for the people who are planning to take their own travel adventures as well. I think the longer you stay in a place, obviously the less you spend per day, and that's because you get to know the place and you get to have the benefit of also not going like from uh, point to point back to Singapore, for example. So if I were to do a five-month trip, right, it would be much more affordable than five one-month trips because then I don't have to do like a back-and-forth travel. And even if it's not the same country, I'm going to like neighboring countries. You can obviously cross the borders via local transport like bus or trains or even uh, on foot or bicycle. So these are all much more affordable than the plane tickets, which will usually be one of the bigger ticket items. Of course, for accommodations as well, if there are hostels available and it's not too high cost, like in Eastern Europe or in uh, parts of Asia or Africa or Latin America, 
these are um, 5, 10, 20 times cheaper than even 3, 4, 5 star hotels. So going with those options as a solo traveller makes a lot of sense. Obviously, if you are a family, then the rooms could make a bit more sense because then you have more people per room. The times that you book, how you book, the platforms that you book and getting all these like cashbacks and things like that. Common sense things like not booking last minute, you know, trying to look out for unpopular timings or unpopular locations. Don't go during the peak hour, like cherry blossom season in Japan. Because these are all where you will find overpriced or fully priced type of costs. Avoiding the crowds and I think being in the COVID situation was also very helpful because some of the places that I went to, the occupancy of these tourism sites or hotels or hostels, guest houses were very low and likewise the price was also very low. Popular destinations like say Paris or, or New York, these are all going to be very expensive because they are all fully priced or overpriced given that there's so much awareness around the things to do in these cities, what they have kind of marketed themselves to be. I think if your main aim is to travel and not specifically to do something in those cities that I mentioned, you can probably save a lot of money by starting nearby Asian countries. That's half the world, right? And going to places which are less well-traveled by most people. Oh, nice. Okay, but how about while you're on the trip? I would say that try and live like a local. If you see where are the locals spending their money, right? Usually it'll be like supermarkets. Not at some fancy restaurants or some bars or tourist attractions. They will go with the local park, local eateries, the street food. So those are things that obviously sometimes you want to experience it as a first-time visitor in the place. I actually spent quite a lot on tourist attraction tickets in South America because I knew that you know South America is not a place that I go very often. So I would pay like 10 US dollars to enter some of these tourist attractions. But if I was going to a place like Europe, for example, I wouldn't pay 30 pounds or 40 euros to go to a place like the Eiffel Tower or the Big Ben or like 30 US dollars or 40 US dollars to go up the Empire State Building. Because these are extremely commercialized experiences and you would pay top dollar for essentially what is a tourist trap. So again, I can't speak for everyone whether that's good value for money, but at least for me, I try to avoid these kind of things as much as possible and just live like what a local would live like. Okay, so speaking of spending while travelling, I would say that we are spot for choices in terms of how we can spend money. We have the option to change cash in Singapore before travelling, credit cards that can even rack up some points for us, or even multi-currency cards. So what tips do you have in terms of the best way to manage spending while travelling? So obviously for me, the changing money before travelling option wasn't there, given that I was away for such an extended period of time. And I think carrying around a, a huge load of cash is also not feasible. So obviously, cards were the only option for me. And credit cards have a very high fee that they charge in terms of foreign currency exchange. That's how they can reward you with the mouse. So I definitely do not recommend people to spend with a credit card if they can avoid it. Multi-currency cards, on the other hand, provide you with a much lower transaction cost. There are still fees, that's how they make the money, but they are more flexible in terms of the amount that you can withdraw and some of them provide you with a limit of cash withdrawals from ATMs and these ATMs will still charge you a fee, so you have to take that into account as well. So in some places like Bolivia and Pakistan, the cards were not very helpful because the ATMs were not working for most of the international cards. So we had to go with options like Western Union. So you could download the app and transfer money over an app to yourself and collect it out from any of the merchants or the agents' locations. And for Argentina, for example, using multi-currency cards or credit cards would be a really bad idea 
because there is a significant difference between the street rate and the official rate, the board rate. But in the street rate, which is what you get for changing US dollars for the local pesos, it's almost double. And obviously then you have to bring in the US dollars and estimate how much you would need for that trip. Or you could also use Western Union, which also follows the street rate, but not exactly. So you still have some cost incurred in terms of transferring money there. But I think the whole trip has taught me that there's no one-size-fits-all, right? There are some countries where it's going to work. Most countries, the multi-currency cards will work. But then some countries, you can't rely on them. You have to do some homework before that and look up how people are getting around, especially in places like Argentina or in Bolivia or Pakistan. So when traveling for holidays or adventures, we try to cover as many bases as possible. But sometimes we do run into unplanned situations as well, right? So speaking of all these adventures that we are having, I can't stop myself from having this nagging feeling of what happens if something goes wrong. So did you face any setbacks during your adventures? For me, I never once felt that my life was in danger. That's something I'm very thankful for. And I feel that because I was traveling during the pandemic, perhaps a lot of these criminals or thieves or robbers were on a short break. But that's just my perception. Maybe I was oblivious as well. Generally, most of the people who think about danger and safety issues, I think these are not the people who should be concerned. The ones who are not thinking about it should be more concerned. There's also a statistic somewhere in the US where, you know, like 70 to 80% of car accidents happen in a 5 to 10 mile radius from your house. Because these are where we let our guard down. And when we believe that we are in a safe environment, a familiar environment, that's where the accidents and the dangerous situations really are around the corner. Personally, most of the negative incidents or experiences I faced actually happened in Europe. Even having been to places like Africa, in South America or, or South Asia, none of the negative incidents to me happened there. In Barcelona, for example, within five hours of my arrival when I was sitting in a Burger King, somebody swiped my phone and took off without a trace. The police were not helpful either. Then I had money stolen from my hostel in Romania and a pickpocket in Serbia. Looking back, I would say that it made a lot of sense why these things happened in Europe because most people view Europe in a more positive light from a safety angle than places like Africa or South America. And it could be that it's very good business for the bad actors as well because if everybody is flocking to these places like Barcelona or, or Paris, then there are many kind of business to be done there if you are a bad actor. Ah, that's interesting. Exploring uncharted territories is something that stuck onto me. And I think like you said, the best experiences doesn't need to cost a lot. That's something I will personally take away and apply during my next travel adventures. So Jashra, before we come to the end of this podcast, do you have anything else you'd like to add on? I think for travelling these places, the biggest lesson I learned is that most people may think of the most and the least and the best and the worst, right? When it comes to countries, what is the best place you have been to? You know, what is the worst place you have been to? For me, the real experiences comes also when there are less pleasant situations. So when there are certain setbacks that you encounter, like for example, when I was not able to enter Bangladesh on my first, second or third attempt, I had to buy a total of four plane tickets. Now, these are the things that make for stories to tell, right? You now obviously had gone through the inconvenience and you had to spend a bit of money to pay for the extra flight tickets that you otherwise wouldn't have had to expense. But you remember these things and they form part of that experience that you have. So I think the fear of failure, right, is something that we need to really remove from the cultural psyche. When we see failure as a, a badge of honour or something that, you know, we, we can learn from, this teaches us, you know, how to do better next time. 
for example, like when I was in South Africa as well, I had a few accommodations which I turned up to and they were no longer around because of COVID. You know, they had either shut down and maybe they have changed their usage from a guest house to a classroom or something. And that sort of taught me to call up my accommodations that I booked prior to arriving to make sure that they're actually still operational, especially given the context of COVID. So I learned my lesson and you know, I was then able to avoid making the same mistake. And nobody would have done this in a normal circumstance, right? If you book something, you expect it to be there. But then because of this disruption and this experience, I've learned that this is something that I should do to avoid future similar situations. So I likewise had a lot of other experiences where these restrictions had just kicked in, you know, it was almost impossible to predict. And that taught me a very different lesson. If these things can change on the fly and you are in no control of them, then you really need to throw the planning and the rulebook out of the window because you need to be flexible and adapt. You can't have everything sort of set in stone and if it doesn't work out, then everything collapses. Then your whole uh, adventure will feel very stressful. You will feel like if one thing doesn't happen, then everything cannot happen. So that kind of also sort of helped me to adopt a more flexible mindset. Thanks so much for sharing these tips with us. I know I for sure plan to do a lot of travelling this year. And I'm very sure that these tips that you've shared will be very useful for me and our listeners as well. Alright, so you've shared many different things. Okay, let me try to recall, okay? So we talked about managing our expenses on our vacations by visiting less crowded places or even travelling during low peak seasons. We also chatted a bit about making bookings through platforms that give you cashback deals. And if possible, we try to go for longer trips instead of taking many shorter ones to save on those travel costs. We have come to the end of this episode. I'm Hari and you've been listening to Let's Talk CPF. Before you go, we would love to hear from you. Email us with your questions or comments at podcast at cpf.gov.sg so we can create better content for you. You can also leave us a review on the platform you're listening from to help others learn about our podcast. For the latest news, visit cpf.gov.sg podcast or follow our social media pages. Thank you once again. Until the next time, let's talk CPF.